Macro Podcast number 399 for March 19th, 2014, brought to you by ShareFile by Citrix, the secure way for businesses to exchange files. Hi, welcome back to another Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and as always, I'm joined by my cohort, Serenity Caldwell. Hi, Chris. How are you? Oh, not too bad. It's actually uh, above freezing here in Boston, so I'm pretty excited about that. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but next week at uh, Macworld, iWorld, it's going to be probably in the you know high 60s, maybe low 70s. So, what? <laughs> sorry, you know, I know you're going to have to get a new wardrobe, and you know, you're going to smell like mothballs for the entire. I week, know but. everything's going to be unpacked. It's okay. I've got a special bag just for San Francisco visits. Really? So you never unpack it? No, I mean it's some stuff, but uh, but I have a specific jacket that I have in there that's uh, too impractical for the East Coast, but very works perfectly for San Francisco. Well, great. Uh, so you will be uh, you'll be nice and warm. And those of you on yes. the East Coast who have nothing better to do than get warm next week, you you should come to Macworld <laughs> World too because the weather right now is fabulous out here. So um, and it's going to be a big fun. But we're going to talk about Macworld World a little bit later. But first, I want to start with the news of today, which is actually. Tuesday. Um, Apple released sort of some new products or sort of changed the, <laughs> the skew on something. So so now in, uh, not in the U.S., but outside the U.S., they have an 8 gigabyte iPhone 5C. Okay. 8 whole gigabytes. Yeah. Eight whole yeah. Gigabytes. And um, they've gotten rid of the iPad 2, which... Raise a glass. Yeah. It's about time. <laughs> And and I think very nicely they have released instead as the base model three ninety nine for the Wi Fi version of the iPad four with sixteen gigabytes and that's the only configuration you can't go up from there uh, or you can get the cell version for five twenty nine I think uh, so what do you think is this like news to celebrate or is just like mm, yeah okay. I think for iPad owners, the switch from the iPad 2 to the iPad 4 with the same price point is huge yeah. in terms of like what you're getting bang for your buck-wise is really, really awesome. The iPad 4 has the Retina screen. It has a much faster processor. Um, the iPad 2 was limited in some ways what it could run, um, did not feature a lot of the fancy iOS 7 uh, features like uh, AirDrop mm-hmm. um, or I, I think even Siri. I can't remember. Yeah, no, you're right. I don't have the list off the top of my head, but yeah. Um, So for people, you know, who want to buy a slightly cheaper iPad and don't want to sort of pony up for the iPad Air, I think this is a fantastic sort of next next level uh, option for people. The 8 gigabyte phone, (laughs) I am Speaking of not enough capacity. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The 8 gigabyte phone, I don't don't even remotely understand how uh, most people can – can fit eight gig like can hold eight gigabytes of space and not be constantly running out or constantly having to delete apps. Maybe if you just run the default apps. Uh, but the the worst thing about that, I think, is that you know uh, it looks like Apple's doing it uh, in in very specific countries overseas, mind you, including China, uh, to pad out its lineup and to try and get people into slightly lower price points. But at the same time, most of the price points overseas are all unsubsidized right. and the, the price cut on there is really not that big. I think it's something like a 70 or $80 approximately uh, less than, uh, than the iPhone's 5C in 16 gigabytes. But 
you're talking about an entry level price that's still like five hundred dollars approximate U.S. So it still seems like it's still very expensive for uh, for your average your average uh, Chinese person who wants to go down and pick up an iPhone. And I kind of feel like, well, if you're going to spend all that money for an iPhone anyway, why not just pay the extra, you know, U.S. approximate $80 and pick up the 16 gigabyte version? Yeah. And if you're in Europe, they have VAT tax and that adds another like 25% because this is high-end uh, electronics. And so that applies. So they're looking at paying 700 something, you know, approximately U.S. dollars there for an 8 gigabyte. Now, I know that Apple harvests uh, RAM from a very special mine somewhere on Mars, you know, so that what, <laughs> that's what makes it extremely expensive. I don't get it. I mean, it's just the difference is right. Eight gigabytes of RAM, right? And so why not, you know, drop the price of the 16 gigabyte model? Or if it really is... In, designed to attract people who want a less expensive iPhone, make it really less expensive instead of, as you mm -hmm. say, less than $100 difference. I, you know, I've read reports of what this is supposed to mean, that they're trying to get into LTE uh, countries and kind of compete against mid-level phones, but it seems particularly in unsubsidized countries. That's an awful lot of money to pay for very little capacity. Yeah. I mean, I think... I don't know if I've ever had an 8 gigabyte phone, to be perfectly honest. I think I almost always went with the 16. And then when they started offering the higher capacity models, I went up to 32. Um, because 8 gigabytes is really not a lot of space, especially yeah. when you're talking about, oh, I'm shooting photos on this thing. I'm storing games and apps and other, you know, other uh uh, different features or different uh, files. Yeah. It just, it seems crazy to me. Well, my very first iPhone was eight gigabytes. That was, a, and my wife's was a four gigabyte model when they used to make those. And it was fine because really what you had to choose from was nothing. So you yeah. got the stock apps. Eight gigabytes or nothing. Yeah, you had stock apps. It didn't take high definition uh, pictures. It didn't shoot you know, big videos. So there was only so much you could put on the thing. But in the days where you have apps that are coming in at a gigabyte and over for some games, an eight gigabyte phone just seems nuts to me at that price point. Mm -hmm. Again, if it was super cheap, absolutely. Get into the iOS ecosystem. That's great. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Honestly, I don't get it. Um, speaking of other things that I don't get, uh, which are many, um, let's talk a little bit about Microsoft. Oh, boy. Uh, Microsoft is is actually moving much more into the Mac and iOS space, much more than they have. And I don't know if this is because they've changed CEOs and, and now iOS and Mac are no longer sort of the forbidden um, technologies to address. But this week, OneNote came out for the Mac. There's <clears throat> a rumor of Office for iPad coming out and being announced next week. And then uh, there's going to be a new office for Mac this year, which seems like a heck of a lot of stuff for Microsoft to be doing, where in the past they pretty much ignored Apple and its products. Yeah, I think they've gotten to the point where ignorance or treating the Mac and iOS as sort of second-class, third-class citizens uh, is running into a problem point for them. I mean, office for iOS should have shown up Two or three years ago, yeah. um, they you know they should have been one of the first people on the platform, and 
there there were certainly possibilities for them to be one of the first people on the platform, especially when the App Store started getting big. And they chose instead to kind of silo themselves and say, well, no, we're still going to – we're going to make it so that if you want Office on your tablet, you're going to want to buy a, a Windows tablet. That's the only way you can get Office. And I think they thought, oh, well, the consumers will just come and buy our Windows tablets because well, they still need Office, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they uh, they misgambled on that one. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately uh, – the consumers, you know, users by and large chose, no, we'd rather have an iPad and we'll use something similar to Office that can save in Office, you know, formats like Word or, or um, PowerPoint. Uh, but we'll use uh, – we'll either use Pages I, or Apple's iWork suite or we'll use a third-party app that, you know, saves in Office formats. But – we're not going to wait twiddling our thumbs for a version to, of Office to show up. And as a result, I think Office has kind of lost a lot of a lot of street cred among uh, among office offices and businesses uh, who are sort of shifting into the tablet market. Yeah, I think that's certainly true of, of Apple users who I, I think if you ask anybody who uses a Mac or, or primarily uses iOS and you ask them about Office and they kind of shrug their shoulders like, yeah, who cares? I stopped caring about that years ago. I think on the Windows side, there are still a lot of people who care about Office. I, I talk about the iPad and business in, in various formats, and I do get a lot of people saying, I really need Office. And I say, you know, I explain to them, well, you can use Pages, and you can, yeah, but no, I really want just Office. Could we please have Office? And I think that Microsoft has heard this, and I wonder if it is the CEO shift. In in the past, we've heard about Melinda Gates and Bill Gates and and Balmer and other people who just said, we will not let our kids, our employees, anybody use Apple products. Well, actually, I think they were pretty God good. forbid. Yeah, which seemed like the totally wrong answer to me. I think, you know, Melinda Gates should have been giving her kids whatever they wanted. And then after a week saying, why do you prefer this to the stuff that dad's making? And get a list from the kids, and then you know maybe that would help with their product development instead of Market just Market testing, yeah. Exactly. It's like, no, we want... But, Dad, I want an iPad. Really? Well, how about this nice Surface tablet? No, it's crap. Oh, uh, why? <laughs> and then, you know, call in the marketing managers and the engineers and say, my kid says this is bad, and here's why. Why don't we do something different than what we're doing instead of this thing? But, no, they've so I've, I'm hopeful that with the new CEO, he's sort of had this going on for years thinking – you know, boy, when I'm in charge, I'm going to totally turn this around. And I'd like to see it happen. I would love to see a new version of Office for the Mac that really is written for the Mac that looks good on it. Um, one note coming to the Mac, I think it's fine. It's a good notes application. It certainly offers you a lot more capacity than Evernote, which is sort of what it's going after. And Office on an iPad for a lot of people is going to be welcome in that they can just work in Office instead of having to somehow get stuff into pages or into documents to go or some other format convert it, have it not convert exactly the way it should, particularly things mm. like spreadsheets. I think people use yeah. Excel. They bring it into numbers and just go, ew, this wasn't what yeah. I wanted. Numbers can handle some uh, some of Excel's mm -hmm. stuff, but the when you get into any kind of advanced number crunching, it, it tends to fall down a little bit. Yeah. So I can definitely see, you know, for the businesses that are still firmly entrenched in Office, it makes a lot of sense to have that app um, available and ready for them 
especially if they have iOS tablets in the workplace, which a lot of people do. Yeah. That's a strange, strange thing about Apple, you know, inadvertently conquering most of the Fortune 500 with tablets and iPhones. Um, <laughs> you mean because it's you know, good? <laughs> maybe just a little bit. Yeah. Um, let's do one more topic before we, we go to uh, talk about um, ShareFile. Um, to, to no one's big surprise, although I'm glad this was revealed eventually, um, Steve Jobs said that a TV was a bad idea. Apparently, Gene Munster never got no. that memo. And and you remember, like two years ago, everybody was saying, "Oh, it's going to happen. It's gonna, this time. It's going to happen. It's going to happen." I don't know if it was before <laughs> WWDC or some kind of Apple event, but everybody was sure it was going to happen. And and a few of us said, "No, it's not. It's a terrible idea." And so those of us who said no, it was a terrible idea are now vindicated because Steve Jobs himself said. A TV was a bad idea. So why is it a bad idea? Oh, so many reasons. The number one thing that always baffled me when they're like, Apple's going to make a television set is Apple, you know, in terms of monitor support, Apple has traditionally made maybe one or two monitors. um, And then they have sort of their iMac line that has a monitor built in. and then you're going to tell me that Apple is suddenly going to go into this field and potentially have to make five or six gigantic HD beautiful LED monitors, which I'm sure they could do yeah. and I'm sure they could make it, you know, very pretty. But you're talking about high, you know, high cost to both produce and sell uh, devices that become obsolete very quickly because as we've seen the last couple of years, you know – the the pixel race and everybody's trying to get you know higher definition looking uh, televisions and and Apple can only do so much with software before the hardware is going to be mm-hmm. obsolete. So is Apple really going to sell a bunch of six thousand dollar niche television sets that are you know maybe they're seventy inches wide but uh, they're only good for people for two or three years and not that many people are going to buy them or do they not worry about trying to make the best display ever possible. Leave that to the other people and then just focus on, you know, a small hardware box. Yeah. Hmm, Imagine. I wonder which one sounds more plausible. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think the TV model is just is kind of goofy the way that a, a car is goofy in that mm-hmm. Apple's model really is buy a new Apple product and about two years from now, we're going to make one that you're going to want. And you're going to turn over whatever it is that you bought two years ago. You're going to hand it off to somebody else because you really, really, really want this new thing. If you're talking about an Apple television, which we figure if they were to make such a thing would be probably in the upper end of what you'd pay for a TV because Apple, Mm -hmm. you know, makes really great quality stuff. Plus quality. yeah. Yeah. So are you going to turn around two years from now and say, wow, I think I'm going to flip over this $5,000 TV that I got. Then I'll put it in the rumpus room, and instead I'm going to get the new one. I don't know, does whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm getting my new 4K Apple TV that does my laundry for me. And why this ever caught on, it just seems so foreign to everything that Apple's done. Much like you know, Apple's going to buy Tesla. You know, it's like, have you had <laughs> any look at what Apple's done over the past ever? No, 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 but Apple Apple and cars makes total sense. Oh, I mean, yeah. Apple's all into luxury and cars are a luxury. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> yeah, well, they'd, of course, they'd make the flying car because that's yeah. what we really want. And the one that we're runs on. flying cars and hoverboards. Let's get Apple on that yeah, ASAP. Yeah, exactly. And because people have this notion that, like, yes, they make really cool stuff, but they're not Sony. They're not going to make everything in the world. And they're not going to make stuff that doesn't make sense for the company, given its DNA. And a TV, to me, doesn't seem like it's part of it. Of course, they could come out with one three weeks from now, and I'll look like a dope. But uh, until then, I'm holding <laughs> to my position that everybody else is wrong. Well, I'll join you on that side of the fence, Chris. All right. And, and lo and behold, if we're wrong, All but, right. uh, it seems just ridiculous. And, and Okay. And if we are wrong, if three weeks from now when a TV does come out, Ren and I promise to put a stamp on our head that says dope and we'll walk around <laughs> in public for an entire week. And we'll eat our hats. Well, you have hats. I don't have hats. so uh, That's true. We'll get you a fedora to eat. Could it be a chocolate one? Sure. Okay. Good. Um, now let's take that break and have a word from uh, ShareFile by Citrix. If a lot of your business relies on sharing files with others via email attachment, and frankly, whose doesn't, you want to not only be sure that those attachments reach their destination, but they do so securely and confidentially. But they don't always. And that's why we're talking about ShareFile by Citrix, the professional file sharing service for business. Unlike standard email attachments, ShareFile sends your attachments as secure links, handling files up to almost any size. And we're talking about gigabytes. ShareFile uses up to AES 256-bit encryption with either SSL or TLS protocols. And your files are encrypted every moment that they're on the cloud servers. Only you and your recipients have access to the data that they hold. If you're in the medical, legal, or international man of mystery business, you know how important that is. In addition to top-level encryption, ShareFile can let you know when your files have been opened and by whom. Plus, you can access those files from laptop, tablet, or smartphone. Now, in my business, I occasionally have to transfer large movie files. We're talking about several gigabytes between my computer and another entity. Now, obviously, I can't do that over email, and the free sharing solutions don't support the capacity. But with ShareFile, I can simply send a link to the file. It's uploaded to Citrix's servers, and the recipient can retrieve them at their leisure. You can give it a try yourself, and it costs you nothing. No credit card required. Get started today with our special 30-day free trial. Go to sharefile.com, click on the microphone icon at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. That's sharefile.com, and type in Macworld. You'd be glad you did. Okay, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, next week is Macworld iWorld, formerly, or currently known as Macworld iWorld, and once known as Macworld Expo. You're going to be there, yes? Yes, I am. What and are you going to do? <laughs> Um, well, aside from wandering the show floor, looking for all kinds of crazy, cool products, uh, I'm going to be talking about a variety of, of things at Macworld iWorld. I seem to be on more panels than not these days, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, well, you're good on them, too. I mean, I've, I've seen you in action, and, and I know you've got a drama background, and it, and it comes through. Not that you're overly dramatic when you speak, but you, <laughs> you're very comfortable on stage. Apple is, is doomed. <laughs> That's what my panel is going to be this year. Ooh, no, um, thank you, Chris. I am doing a couple of different ones. Um, too bad I don't have the, the times right in front of me, but I'm sure we can put those in the show notes. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm doing a uh, – I'm co-hosting a panel with Dan Morin on things you didn't know were in iOS 7 or little tips and tricks you could use to get the, the most out of iOS 7. Um, I am hosting a panel that I'm really excited about uh, where I'm going to talk to a couple of folks about their creative setups 
um, and how they became Mac users and why why they love using their Macs and their iOS devices to work. Uh, so that I think is going to be really, really awesome for for anyone who's a, a budding painter or a, or a musician or a photographer or a writer who really wants to sort of get the skinny on what what the best hardware and software tools they should be using are. Um, then I'm doing another panel on using pages uh, to put together some basic uh, basic templates as well as using pages to create uh, the the foundations of an ebook. Yeah, uh, and, and you're the for people who don't know, Ren's the pro on this. Um, <laughs> I mean, you are the, the people have tried and failed, and routinely they come back to you to say, okay, how do you do this? Because you do this for for MacWorld, right? For our e-books. I do. Yeah, and it's not easy. So you no, know, as much it's as Apple slightly says, easier, but <laughs> yeah, but Apple presented this as, hey, anybody can make an ebook, and then we found out from you, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, anybody of. can make an ebook, but there are there's some bumps along the way. I will say, iBooks author vastly simpler to use for making ebooks than Pages, but Pages has some nice uh, some nice tools in there for for people who don't want to do anything too complicated. Uh, but still want, say, an ebook of their novella or their research paper they want to to have on their iOS device. So I think I think it should be a fun session. Uh, oh, still working I, I really on my slides. Too, yeah. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. And then, are you on an incomparable too? While you're, I am on the incomparable. Um, I don't know what we're talking about quite yet, which is to say that Jason has something under his hat that oh. we're keeping under wraps for now. Uh, but it should be quite the fun panel. Uh, and you'll see some of your old favorite and comparable uh, panelists, as well as I think some fun guest stars. Excellent. And um, and that's it for you. As if that isn't enough. Uh, you know, I think so, but there okay. may be more. There, I'm. I know that I'm often on the MacWorld Live stage in bits and pieces, so right. I suspect I might be a panelist somewhere else. But uh, you know. I, I'll, I'll be around. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's plenty. And I am doing a uh, an all day session on Wednesday before the show floor opens on the iPad for Business. And if you want to come, you have to pay extra for it. But it's it's going to be worth every nickel. Definitely. Um, Thursday, I'm spending a lot of time on the Macro Live stage. Oh, so you know. The Macro Live stage is something we do every year. And so on the show floor, we have a stage set up with couches and chairs and stuff and seating. And so we have a, a series of sessions. These do not mirror the conference sessions, but rather about other things. So we talk to people in the industry. Um, we talk to other pundits, and we pundit for 45 minutes. And it's generally we blow off steam. It's somewhere for you to sit down and hang out and get some good content without having to pay for it. You just pay to get into the show, and that stuff is free. And then on, uh, let's see, that starts Thursday. And then on Friday, I'm doing a Mac 911 session, Tips and Tricks, at noon, I think, on the main stage. So this isn't Macworld Live, but this is rather the main stage where you need to have a certain kind of pass to get to that. Um, oh, and you know, on Thursday, Dan Morin is doing um, his rapid fire sessions, which are always a hoot. So delightful. Yeah, the setup is you get five minutes to talk to teach something, and uh, this year I'm teaching um, technology for old farts. So that's my uh, that's my five minutes, and um, Saturday I'm ha- I'm interviewing Robin Miller from uh, Mist Fame. And he also has a new movie called um, The Immortal Augustus 
Gladstone, which is a delightful movie. Actually, I interviewed him about five or six weeks ago on this podcast. So I get to talk to him live, which should be great, and he'll have clips from The Mist Files and and from his new movie as well. So that's definitely worth seeing. So, yes, I, too, will be busy. Plus, the Mackerel All-Star Band is playing Friday night. Which is going to be phenomenal, Well, you know, it's it's an open bar. So <laughs> the band gets better the more you drink. Um, but it's fun because I get to be the leader this year. So uh, you can blame me for anything that happens on stage. Oh, boy. Yeah. Lots of fun. Chris, are you looking forward to any sessions in particular to go to any sessions? I was, I was looking over at the agenda uh, the last couple of days. I'm like, there's some there's some really neat stuff on there. There is. Um, well, we talked to to Jean last week about app camp for girls. And I'm definitely going to that. I'm going to, I'm hoping my daughter is going to be with me. So take her to that. I want to see your pages session because I think that <laughs> is, I don't spend a lot of time with pages and I've kind of toyed with the idea of doing eBooks and, and that sort of thing, but I really don't know where to get started. And I know I'm not using the power of pages. Uh, I tend to be a BB edit guy and occasionally I have to use word, but I don't use pages very much. So I want to learn more about that. Um, I want to see your creatives panel, too, because I'm very interested in the creative arts and, and how people use technology for that. So um, expect me to haunt your panels. <laughs> You'll just be lurking in the back, taking taking notes. Yeah. And what about you? What do you want to see? Um, the one that really caught my eye. So I've been uh, following Kyle Lambert for a while, and he'll actually be on my creative workflows panel. Um, but he he's come to Macworld a couple times, and he does those really fantastic iPad portraits. Oh yeah, including the the one of um, oh what's uh, he did Beyonce a couple years back. Um, and he's doing a panel on Friday at 1 p.m. that I'm interested in seeing, which is frustrating because it crosses with another panel that I want to see called the NSA and you. Oh, in case you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're – everybody's, you know, a little confused about what's going on with all of the – all of the stuff surrounding Edward Snowden and all of the, you know – what is the NSA actually doing to our our web traffic? What are they actually looking at? And Josh Centers from Tidbits is going to be moderating that, and they have a whole bunch of really interesting people on their panel, including Rich Mogul, who is a real person despite the the name, <laughs> uh, uh, who's who writes for us occasionally and is very smart, and Kim Zetter who works for Wired, and Joe Kissel who also writes for us, um, and they all have a pretty decent background in security, and I think that they're they're talk will be very, very interesting. So I may be darting back and forth between those two panels. Um, And there's... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's the problem with the show. I mean, if you could (laughs) say it's a problem, is there's so much good stuff to see. And um, they've tried to make it a little easier by uh, kind of closing off the, the conference sessions during the main stage talks. But... Once the conference sessions kick in, there are four things you can see at the same time, and it's it's hard to choose between all of them. Yeah, it's I'm looking at it. I mean, there are what four, or five sessions going simultaneously, mm-hmm. um, from two to four on Thursday, and then I'm pretty much all day Friday. Um, it's that's it's so much to choose from. I can't handle it. It's a, I, it's a wealth. Yeah, but I think I think there's going to be a lot of really really awesome things for. Uh, for people to go see if they want to sit on on sessions. And, of course, there's the Macworld live stage on the floor. Yeah. And then San Francisco's not a bad place to hang out either if you're not no. from here. Yeah. 65-degree weather. Uh, go go visit the grilled, the grilled cheese factory. Have a delicious, over-expensive, over but fantastic uh, grilled cheese. Well, San Francisco's known for being 
not inexpensive. <laughs> slightly expensive. <laughs> slightly expensive, depending where you're coming mm. from. I mean, if you're from New York, it's maybe It's all right, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we go, um, we have to talk about Veronica Mars. Now, oh, yeah. I'm not a Veronica Mars fan. Uh, I, I didn't watch it. But I understand that uh, through Kickstarter, the people funded a movie of it. And that came out and everybody was very excited until something happened. And, <laughs> uh, and because you were affected by it, why don't you tell us about what that was? Sure. Uh, so the Veronica Mars movie, which, by the way, Chris, you should definitely sit down and watch, uh, watch the show because I think you dig it. Uh, it's a show about a uh, young woman who ends up becoming a private eye uh, while she's in high school uh, and trying to solve her best friend's murder. And it goes on from there. And the movie picks up about 10 years later. Um, the TV show had kind of ended up rather abruptly. And uh, the creator, Rob Thomas, really wanted to put a bookend on the series and provide a, a good ending and then maybe a relaunch point for uh, for Veronica Mars and other mediums. And so he toyed around with doing a movie for a long time, but uh, but the studio was very adamant. They're like, this, there's not a big enough audience. Uh, we're not going to be able to fund this. So he finally, you know, after working with the studio, got them to agree to let him try and Kickstarter a campaign. And so he went out to the internet with uh, with his lead, Kristen Bell, uh, who was recently in Frozen. And he's like, dear internet, please, if you if you love Veronica Mars and you want to see a movie, here here is your chance to make that happen. And people could donate anything from $1 to $10,000 to uh, to help make that happen. And they – it was – the Kickstarter was a huge success. They were supposed to raise – or they, they needed at bare minimum to raise $2 million and they raised I think just over $6 million. Mm. It was one of – I think one of the most popular Kickstarters ever and definitely I think the top in the film and television category of Kickstarter. Uh, and this past week, they released the movie on the big screen, which was pretty cool. And backers who had put up $35 or more, uh, in addition to you know having the chance to just go out and buy a movie ticket like anyone else – um, Veronica Mars was released on demand day and date with the movie release, which cool. – uh, very, very rare uh, in this in this field. Usually, movie theaters are very adamant that uh, digital releases come ninety days after mm -hmm. they appear in theaters because, God forbid, uh, <laughs> someone stay home and, and rob the theaters of their precious ticket money and you know, popcorn they, they got, sales and popcorn sales. Um, so the WB, who's the producing partner uh, behind this whole thing, the WB actually had to pay AMC to get AMC to to run the Veronica Mars movie um, for uh, for the opening weekend. And AMC, of course, would pay Warner Brothers back whatever they made. Um, but it's still, you know, the fact that AMC w was open to doing this at all was huge. Uh, which is pretty cool, and it made quite a lot of money in theaters, which is great. But yeah. the uh, the thing that people are uh, people were kind of up in arms about was uh, not so much the theatrical release, but the home video really, or the home video, the video on demand release. Yeah. People, you know, if you weren't part of the Kickstarter and you just wanted to walk in and buy Veronica Mars off the you know off the shelf, you could get it from iTunes. I think you could get it from Amazon. You can get it pretty much in whatever video format you wanted to. Uh, Kickstarter backers, unfortunately, were being locked into a specific service. Specifically, they were being locked into Ultraviolet, um, 
which is this sort of uh, studio neutral locker for yeah. digital movies uh, that has sub services that are tied to studios, including things like Flickster and Voodoo, uh, which is owned by, I think, Walmart. Uh, and it is just a mess to sign <laughs> up for to get copies of movies. The movies can't be the movies can't even be downloaded to your computer. They have to be played through a specific app either on your Mac or on your iOS device or Android tablet. Uh, and it's it was just a huge headache and so a lot of Kickstarter backers kind of went to the internet complaining and being like I know that you said that this is the only way to to make sure that everyone got a day and date release worldwide, but this is awful and you guys need to do something to fix it. And thankfully, Warner Brothers was actually pretty open to this and a day or two after, you know, this whole kerfuffle started, they said, you know what? You're right. This this is kind of a mess. Ultraviolet, maybe not the best place to do it. So our support team is on hand and – if you're having trouble with Ultraviolet, we'll walk you through and see if we can't get it working on your device. But if you're really adamant that you want it on a different platform, let us know and we will refund you the cost of purchasing it on that platform. So if you really want it on iTunes, go buy it for you know $14.99 on iTunes and we'll give you that $14.99 back. Um, or if you just want a straight refund, we can do that too. And then so that was you know pretty yeah good for surprisingly them. yeah. Uh, surprisingly nice of Warner Brothers. So the, the the whole kerfuffle ended up being, you know, not as not as much of one as it could have been, but still pretty annoying from the fact that I I it bothers me that service, services like Ultraviolet even exist. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand their point. Somebody alleging to be the CTO of Ultraviolet came onto our forums to respond to an article that was there that was very critical of the whole rollout and of Ultraviolet itself. And after sort of taking a swing at our website <laughs> over something <laughs> totally unrelated, first of all, he said, you know, it's not Classy. at all an unpopular service. It turns out that, you know, it's it's had greater ramp up than DVDs ever did, which to me was sort of like, you know, Putin taking credit for increasing the Russian population <laughs> because they'd invaded the Crimea. Like, well, yeah, because that's because you're forcing people to use Ultraviolet. Now when you buy a DVD or a Blu-ray, you get your digital download, but it's not iTunes anymore. Now it's Ultraviolet, which people don't like. The technology is lumpy. And so, of course, they've had a ramp-up because everybody who's gotten their first one of these things tries to use it. They log in, they get some kind of an account, and then they chalk that up on their board, saying, yeah, well, look, we've got one more customer, one unhappy customer who will never use the service again. But, you know, obviously the reason they're doing this is because they don't want Apple to get that distribution money. Warner would like to have it, and the studios would like to have it, and the distributors who've traditionally distributed movies would like to get that cut instead of Apple taking it, which completely understandable. But it does seem like more of this sort of DRM war where you're making things difficult for customers. The, the fact that you can't download it, but you have to stream it. Well, what if you don't have great bandwidth? Well, it's going to look terrible. And it's, again, to protect the old guard, as as they've tried to do through the music industry, and now it appears they're doing in video as well. And that can be irksome, given the kinds of attitudes that you're seeing from the people that run Netflix and HBO, for example. We talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, where basically mm -hmm. the CEOs just said, you know, we understand people are pirating, but it's okay, because it's advertisement for us. And the traditional 
industry and TV folks seem to think, no, 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 we have to do what the music industry tried to do and failed, which is lock this down tighter and tighter and tighter and make people hate us. And I think what Ultraviolet ultimately does in its current iteration is encourages people to pirate. That if they fail with an Ultraviolet stream, if it looks lousy, they go, okay, I tried, I paid my money, I'm going to Pirate Bay, or I'm going to go to some other BitTorrent site, and I'm going to download this thing. Because why not? I paid for it, so I want my copy, and therefore I feel justified in doing this. So I think that to that CTO, if it really is the CTO, get your act together, buddy, because this technology really needs to work seamlessly. Look to Apple, see what they've done. You may have lots of complaints about iTunes and, and the way Apple does one thing or another, but its delivery of media is pretty seamless. It's it's They don't kind of screw it up, and, and Ultraviolet so far, I think, is is not that, and it needs to be. Yes, absolutely. And then especially when you look at things like Popcorn Time, which got you know, is a a freely available um, forked, you know, Git, GitHub sourced app that anybody can download and anyone can compile and put together that basically allows you to view pirated films uh, in a Netflix type yeah. uh, window that's super easy to use. Uh, people, the, the movie industry kind of needs to figure out what it's doing ASAP because yeah. stuff like that, stuff like that is kind of like what Napster was in the 90s. It's very, very dangerous uh, to the movie industry that if they can't get their act together and provide the movies that people want to watch, people are always going to choose the easiest option. They would like to pay for it, but if paying for it requires signing up for three different services and you know going through jumping through all kinds of different hoops and putting in um, credit card information to possibly shady you know shady uh, HTTP uh, you know it's just it's a it's a, can be a little bit of a mess and I, it would be a lot easier if you could just be hey I want to watch this movie okay I'm going to pay yeah, you exactly. four to ten dollars to watch this movie yeah because we we've, we've seen this before we saw it with the music industry and I, we I did. think Steve Jobs had the right take at that time. Where he just said, you know, piracy is a, is a, not a technology issue. It's a moral issue. You know, what we're going to try to do is make this as easy as possible for you to get the media you want. And I think the vast majority of people are going to say, fine, this is fair. I don't mind paying for this, but don't make me jump through hoops. If you do, that makes exactly. me angry at you. And if I happen to be the kind of person that gets head up, which would be me every so often, I think, forget it. You know, I'll, I'll go ahead and pirate your stuff because I hate you now. <laughs> and so, don't anger me as a consumer. Just <laughs> let me get the stuff I want, and I'm happy to pay you for it. I pay lots of media companies for the media I want. If somebody makes it difficult for me, I just don't use their stuff anymore. I, I go somewhere else. I don't I mean I'm not advocating piracy because I, I don't do that. But um, you know, I won't use ultraviolet anymore. It's just I tried once. I thought it was a horrible experience, and so I just don't do it. I'll rip my DVDs that I purchase instead. I don't mm -hmm. need a digital copy. I'll just make one of my own. They don't want me to do that, but that's the alternative because it's easier. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Well, I feel like I've ranted enough for the day. <laughs> so I think we've covered our ranting on all bases. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, then that's it for this week. Um, we'll get together again next week and do a regular podcast. 
We're going to be podcasting a bunch of the stuff from the Macworld live stage next week as well. So look for a real podcast sometime next week and then a series of special episode podcasts throughout the week. So and many podcasts. So many podcasts. So much to listen to. So if you can't be there, I hope you can because it's, it's a, always a great time. But if you can't be there, yeah, at least you can hear some of the stuff we're doing. So thanks, Ren, very much for being here again. Thanks, Chris, for being my co-host. Yes, I love it. And that wraps up another episode of the Macro Podcast, which is sponsored by ShareFile by Citrix, the secure way for businesses to exchange files. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>